Well, so I think the kind of principal trade-off that we had to make, do we want to build our own terminal? That would allow us to do a lot of the stuff that we do, and but just make it much more easy. Like right now, we have to do a bunch of different hacks in order to understand what working directory your terminal's in and what process is running. Because we are so deep in the user's environment, in the super early stages, because Fig has been sourced already in your bash profile, but the app has been deleted, it might just start logging stuff in your terminal. And it may seem like, oh my God, Fig has completely crashed your computer. I don't know, it just seems scary. Hi, I'm Brendan. And I'm Matt. And we're the co-founders of Fig. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Brendan and Matt decided to give the command line you know and love an overdue makeover. All this and more on Code Story. Brendan Falk is originally from Australia. Growing up, he was always into computers, sports, extracurricular activities. He was the kid who always had a side hustle going on. Once he got to college, he built a currency converting startup to help him pay his tuition fees, and he has been toying around with startup ideas ever since. His partner, Matt Schrag, is from San Francisco originally, and he confesses that it's hard to escape tech when you are from the area. He started coding as early as middle school and hasn't stopped since. And outside of tech, he builds more tech, tinkering with embedded hardware, robotics, and mini machines. After applying to Y Combinator, they were invited to interview with the Accelerator. During the interview, they decided to change from their original idea. After that, their YC partner advised them to pivot yet again. So change has been a regular occurrence for this team since the beginning. They realized that every time they went to get set up on a new project, they had to go through the same commands on the terminal over and over again. Every time, they either forgot what they were or encountered an issue with their environment that needed to be dug into. They thought, how can we solve the problem of making the terminal easier to use? This is the creation story of FIG. We applied to Y Combinator in October of 2019. And we were accepted to their like winter 20 batch. And then we decided to defer it to the summer 20 batch just because Matt and I were both at school and they have this really cool sort of program geared towards students where you can be accepted, but you can then graduate and then start the program immediately. So when Matt and I applied, we actually applied with a completely different idea. Not only was it different, we applied with one idea and in between getting notified that we got an interview and doing the interview, we changed our idea and applied with a different idea. And no idea how we got in, like everyone, no one really knows how they really get in. Uh, There's a lot of articles online. But Dalton Coldwell, who was one of our main partners at YC, the next day we went to one of their kickoff events and Dalton's like, yeah, listen, we, we like you guys, but we actually think your idea could use some work. Uh, we think you should pivot. So within the space of about three weeks, we had gone through two ideas already and we're on to our third uh, just because our partner thought we could find something better. So we sort of went on this cycle of pivots. It wasn't too long. We're also at school. And so the whole idea of this program is focus on school as opposed to like drop everything and start doing the startup. What ended up happening every time we started a new project, 
Matt and I always went back to the same tutorials to sort of get set up, just the, the technical setup. We always went back to the terminal. We always ran the same sequence of commands to set up a Postgres instance on our, like a, a local Postgres server. Or we had to follow the same tutorial to set up Heroku again uh, through the terminal. There were just all of these steps in the terminal. And every single time we couldn't remember them, we would always get blocked. There'd be some random environment variable that we had set that wasn't working properly. Or, you know, one of our secret keys wasn't working. Like there were just so many random little things that like we weren't experienced in. We're just sort of hobbyist developers. And we just kept getting blocked by these random things in the terminal that we just weren't trained on. We sort of came up with this idea of rather than like, you know, trying to come up and solve a problem and create a new startup around something that we're not maybe super passionate about or maybe we aren't a problem we're not facing ourselves. Can we solve our own problem in the terminal? Can we get really, really good at the terminal and make ourselves more productive, make it easier for us? And then chances are, if we have this problem, other people have the problem too. And that was the evolution of Fig. It is essentially a productivity layer on top of the terminal. So it makes the terminal more discoverable for everyone, uh, as well as more productive for those really hardcore advanced engineers. And the first thing that we're focusing on is autocomplete. So we add a sort of VS Code-like autocomplete or IntelliSense to the terminal. Uh, but the cool thing is you use your existing terminal. We add this productivity layer, this VS Code-like IntelliSense to your existing terminal. It's amazing for us to use a product every single day that we have made that we're literally using every time we use the terminal, like this is default on and it makes our lives just so much easier and it solves our own problems. Tell me about the MVP. Tell me about how long it took to build and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. The initial version was kind of different from what, what it is today. Basically, as Brendan was saying, we wanted to take these workflows that you would do, you know, copying and pasting snippets from a browser and running them in the terminal. We wanted to kind of combine that experience. So the first version was really just about connecting a web view or just like a GUI to the existing terminal session. Again, maybe it took a week to do because like there is all sort of like hacky accessibility <laughs> APIs uh, on Mac. Once we realized we had that, it's like we had built this bridge between JavaScript. So we had a JavaScript API that could read and write from the terminal. And we're like, hey, this is pretty interesting. I wonder what else we can do. Just as Matt said, we iterated very, very quickly on our MVP. That was, it's one of our sort of core goals. Like we want to move super quickly, get like a really quick feedback loop. So like we could spend months and months and months building something that is absolutely perfect. But the idea of the MVP and that YC really drills this into us is get it in people's hands as soon as possible. And so as Matt said, like I, my background is actually not Mac OS, anything iOS, nothing Swift, that's all Matt. So I was like, almost skeptical that we could even do this and Matt just for a week was heads down he just reappears he's like yep we've got this working all right let's put it on your computer Brendan and see how it goes so yeah that like the MVP I think Matt can also agree like wasn't the prettiest thing <laughs> but we got it working on someone else's computer in, in literally a week or two so Matt's basically like Superman is what you're saying yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> a lot of refactoring later to get to where we are now <laughs> so you know in any MVP right you've got to make Make decisions and trade-offs to what you can do in the short term and then how you're going to get it out there get feedback and iterate on it so tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs and um, that you had to make and how did you cope with them well so I think the kind of principal trade-off that we had to make from the beginning was like do we want to build our own terminal 
that would allow us to do a lot of the stuff that we do and but just make it much more easy like right now we have to do a bunch of different hacks in order to understand what working directory your terminal's in and what process is running and even just tying that to the the window the, like the mac os window that's active there's all of this kind of nitty-gritty details that if you basically control the entire ui and, and everything that's going on inside of it you we wouldn't have needed to do but the flip side of that is building a terminal is really hard. There's lots of backwards compatibility. It's just like a big technical endeavor. And we still didn't know exactly what we were gonna add on top. Like the terminal itself was kind of table stakes. And so the, the choice that we ended up making was, let's not do our own terminal now. Let's focus on what we can add on top of the existing experience. And like, this will let us iterate quickly. This will let us try out new ideas. And then when we know like that Fig is solving a problem, that's when maybe we go back and say, hey, how can we reinvent this from scratch? And I think another problem that ties into that was, do we go cross-platform from day one? So we could have built this in Electron, uh, which can let us go on Linux, Mac, and Windows. But one, Matt's experience is in Mac OS, like Swift. So that was definitely a nudge in that direction. But two, like, we wanted the first product that we had to actually be like a really, really good experience. We wanted people to download this, it to be seamless. And most importantly, we think of the terminal as a very, very fast place. So we wanted it to be fast. Everyone knows Electron is a big memory suck and it's not the nicest place to build a terminal application. And like short term, let's just like build something super quickly. Let's build it in the tools that we know. Let's make sure it's fast. And let's prove out that terminal augmentation is something that people want. And there are millions of Mac users, so that's sort of a, a big problem for us. The, the user base is obviously smaller than the entire world, but let's prove it out on Mac, and then we can go cross-platform, and then we can build our own terminal. No, that makes total sense. The Mac user base is a highly opinionated user base, too. And, and in some, some ways, more power users than not. So that makes a lot of sense why you would choose to go that way. And if you can delight those sets of users, really, the rest of users will probably be a little bit easier. So let's talk about product progression then. So you've got the MVB done. You, you talked through your decisions and trade-offs. You know, you made an approach. Um, you decided on your approach. You made that approach. How did you progress the product from there? And how are you building your roadmap of what is the next most important thing to build? We actually, the MVP that we discussed and focusing on autocomplete wasn't the initial thing that we did. YC is very, very good at shortening your feedback loop, basically. They're just like, why can't you launch tomorrow? Why can't you do this tomorrow? It's just like trying to get you to test things in front of users as quickly as possible. So that was super valuable for us. And so during YC, we actually didn't build autocomplete at all. The, the first thing we built was an easy way to go through workflows and tutorials like uh, going, yeah, setting up a Postgres instance or you, you go to a Medium article that outlines, here are the 12 steps to set up this or set up Y, something like that. So that was the first thing we built. And then we decided like, can we just render these tutorials next to the terminal? Then the next thing was, can we have processes and workflows encapsulated in our own language, like right next to the terminal, we called those run books. Then we built a way for you to build your own terminal UIs using web technologies, so HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and have them attached to the terminal. And then we built something else. So like we built all of this stuff and we just tested it. We just put it in front of users really quickly and got them to say like, this is really good. This solves this problem. This is terrible and I'm never gonna use it. Or like, you know, this is <laughs> whatever, like just get the feedback. 
we just went iterated, iterated, iterated throughout YC and we got so much feedback across so many different things. And the cool thing is we've built all these products and we're going to get back to them eventually. But I think after YC, we realized what were some of the core takeaways from uh, the original stuff we built with Fig. We were sort of focusing between teams and individuals and we're like, if you want to build a great developer tool product, why don't you focus on individuals? Like get individuals using it, then you can get them to bring it into the workplace. If you're actually adding value, like they will want to keep using it at work and you can layer on the sort of team and collaboration tools on top of that. So we started off by saying, now let's focus on individuals. What is something that we can give to individuals that isn't just like I use this once a day, but like now this is a core part of my terminal experience. And that's where we decided, all right, let's focus on autocomplete. So the product roadmap was, we actually built all of this stuff. Then we decided, all right, let's be really, really focused on something that objectively just isn't something that exists elsewhere. You know, you have autocomplete in the VS code, you have it in Google, you have it in Gmail, you have it on your iPhone, like it's everywhere. Like adding this to the terminal is not gonna be bad. Pretty sure like we're, we're daily active users here, you're a user, like it's gonna add value to your experience. So, Let's get people using Fig just every time they use the terminal, add value to their experience. And then our roadmap is actually bringing back all of the stuff we've already built and slowly layering that back in. And rather than doing like a, a one week job, we can now afford to spend a, some more time on it, making it really, really good, speaking to the users, really honing in on what are the exact problems that you are having and how can you know, our Runbooks product or how can our app product actually solve this and make your life easier. So uh, we think that is gonna come in the next like, couple of months, but we really wanna make sure autocomplete is stable and is really adding value. There's like an idea of breadth first versus depth first search. And so like during YC, we were throwing everything we could at the wall. And at the end, we kind of took all of that insight and then went really deep on autocomplete. And like, that's where we are now, but obviously like there's tons of exciting stuff that we can add on top once we get this core product. Well, let's switch to team. So right now, is it just you two? Yeah. You know, what are you going to look for in the people you hire to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? It's a good question. This is actually something we've talked a lot about. We have like a wide range of things that we are working on. Like some days we're writing like low level C code, interfacing with like the Mac OS kernel. Other days we're kind of doing some high level JavaScript. We've written a bash parser. We've written just a ton, ton of stuff that spans a lot of different domains of expertise. So I think probably early hires will ideally have the ability to kind of bounce around and not just be a specialist in one thing, but kind of help us across the entire stack that we work on. Then the, there's the sort of classic, like what, what do we really value about it? What are our, our core values as a team? Obviously we're super early and these things are gonna change, but as we said at the start, people who work really, really quickly, and that sounds dumb, but like we don't wanna spend 12 months building like one tiny little feature. Like we just wanna push stuff out, get people using it and iterate as quickly as possible. So we want people with that mindset. And then two, we want people who actually believe that the terminal needs an upgrade. The last sort of major update to the terminal was the VT100 in 1978. It is crazy, that was 40 years ago. Like VS Code was released five years ago and that seems like such a big change. And this is the terminal used by every single engineer, like hardware engineer, software engineer, data scientists, sales engineers, even non, like most non-technical people are using it at some point during their work and it hasn't been changed in 40 years. Like that is just shocking. So 
people who actually believe the mission behind the terminal is super fast, but it could be even faster, it could be even better, it could be augmented in some way, and who are actually excited about coming in and literally just building cool stuff, making their lives easier in their daily workflow. So this will be interesting so early on. Did you build this to scale efficiently or is this something that you're going to have to fight as you grow? There's, there's sort of two sides of this. One side is like we are a an app that runs on your computer. So like we don't need to deal with server costs and like cloud scale. Like that's kind of all handled. We push the computation to the edge. But going back to what we were talking about earlier, the way we build things is just by getting the dirtiest, hackiest prototype out there so we can see if we actually like the way the thing works. And so the, the benefit of that is we get to move really quickly and like see our designs in code and running live. But the, the flip side is sometimes we need to go back and improve the stability or, you know, refactor things so that so that it works not just in kind of the case that we run into, but like across all the different customizations of all the different terminals. And so that's, I think, where this question has kind of been something that we're, we're kind of figuring out the balance. I think that we, we really like the ability to, to push stuff out quickly. And another flip side is we've sort of built the app in two parts. The first part is, and this is what Matt's mostly been focusing on, is we basically built like an API around the terminal. In the same way VS Code has its extension store, like you can't really just build an extension on the terminal outside of just writing pure bash. But sort of what we have is a bunch of API endpoints that can render windows around your terminal, that can read and write to the terminal, that can do a bunch of really cool stuff. And then those APIs, it's just a JavaScript API. So everything that we are building on top of that API is in web technologies. And so the like scale efficiency thing is we can go cross-platform and rather than having to rebuild everything from scratch, all of the apps and all of the tools and everything are using the same API. It's just we need to rebuild out that API on Windows and on Linux. Uh, but we, you know, obviously we've built it in a way that it's, the apps can go across platforms. So everything that users build will eventually go across platform. We just need to put in the time to make sure it works properly on the different operating systems. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all you've already built in a short time, what are you most proud of? For me, the, the thing that I am most proud of is how seamlessly Fig can fit into somebody's existing workflow. Um, and this is something like that we were really conscious of from the beginning. We didn't want it to feel like this was some bolted on plugin that didn't really kind of fit in with the environment in terms of the performance, in terms of the, the look and the feel. Uh, it feels like it's just part of the app and you, and like when Fig breaks, like when I, internally, like I have a build that has an issue with it, like I am annoyed when I'm using the terminal because I expect it to be public. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So <laughs> when we were building Runbooks, which was like a product that we want to return to, but it was something we, we kind of worked on briefly, we ended up building our own lightweight addition to Markdown which we were really excited about at the time because we're like, oh, this is cool. It's fun to build a new language. Um, but in hindsight, we should have just taken advantage of like YAML or like just a JSON object to specify things rather than trying to kind of add in our own tooling because it just meant that there was like another barrier for people who wanted to adopt the product. Like you think, oh yes, we're gonna build this new standard or a new protocol to solve this problem. And you know, there are plenty of protocols out there that you can rely on that would make your life much easier. As we said, like we like to move quickly. So <laughs> I think another problem that comes to mind, uh, or maybe a mistake, because we are so deep in the user's environment, in the super early stages, 
where like we didn't fully understand the like, ramifications of I don't know like if we add something to your bash profile and then you delete fig maybe it logs things out and so a lot of time like whenever we obviously build fig in a way so we'll never break your computer we're never gonna like completely destroy everything obviously like we would never ever want that that's the absolute last thing we want but what can happen is sometimes if i have fig installed and then i uninstall fig and you have your terminals already open and you don't close those terminals because fig has been sourced already in your bash profile but the app has been deleted it might just start logging stuff in your terminal that says like fig does not exist or blah 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 and it may seem like oh my god fig has completely crashed your computer i don't know it just seems scary and so i think maybe a mistake we made early on was like we thought we we're going to add this logging in <laughs> this sorry this logging to the like to the terminal to whatever and it would actually be good and we're being upfront and transparent and what ended up happening is people got really scared because they thought fig was coming in and taking over uh and so we just worked with users and obviously like we still are completely transparent with everything but being more aware of how sensitive the terminal really really is and making sure we make decisions so that like we'll never push code that we are even like somewhat We'll push code we're unhappy with because maybe it like looks ugly. We will never push code that we think could have any potential to mess up someone's computer. So, what does the future look like for your product and for your team? As I said, we are growing the team. People who just think the the terminal needs a, a new flash of paint. That is, uh, those are the sorts of people we want. And then, two for the product, we're focusing on autocomplete now, but. As I said, during YC, we built so much stuff. All of the feedback we got was like, yeah, this is really, really cool. The problem is we were only sort of 70% of the way there. And so probably the next product we build is these things called runbooks. And the idea is there is a set of workflows or processes that I always have to do in the terminal. And maybe they could be automated. Maybe they could be written into a bash script or I could you know, write something, uh, some executable that will make it really easy for me to do it. What ends up happening is no one likes writing bash these days. It's sort of like an ugly language. You, you end up just having a markdown document that just lists all of these steps. And it's so far away from where you're coding, from where you're doing these processes that it never actually gets updated. And so the cool thing about runbooks is we're sort of combining the power and speed of a bash script with the discoverability and ease of, and ability to update of a markdown document or of documentation. And so it's essentially like step-by-step -step workflows in your terminal right there, right next to your terminal. And you can use your mouse or you can use a keyboard and just sort of bang through a whole bunch of steps. Things like you know, parameterizing a bash script is sort of painful and you have to deal with these environment variables. But if you just have a little form that says, okay, you're setting up a Postgres server. What do you want the database to be called? Like, what do you want the tables to be called? You're maybe forking your production database. Like, what is the Heroku app name or something like that? And we can just list all of those things out. So rather than doing something complicated that you're not sure of, we can just give you a list of steps that really succinctly summarizes like what you need to do and you just move on with your life. And so we're really excited about that. Uh, and I think that will be the next product we work on. Let's switch to you guys. So. Who influences the way that you work, be it a CEO, CTO, architect, really any person? Name a person that you look up to individually and why. I think for me, this may just sound super cliche. I read Elon Musk's biography years ago. I, am, I don't think it was an autobiography. Yeah, I forget exactly what it was called, but 
he, as I said, very cliche, richest person in the world. Like, oh my God, you look up to the richest person in the world. Wow. <laughs> but the things I admire about him is he just does not stop. Uh, he does not take no for an answer. The craziest story about him is he was interested in space and he was in Russia and he was looking at buying a rocket, basically. And he's just like on the back of an envelope, runs some numbers and goes, you know what? screw it, we're going to do this ourselves, we're going to build it ourselves. Someone sort of screwed him over, uh, or maybe it was too expensive, and he's just like, you know what, I'm just going to do this, like, we can do this. That attitude I find just awesome. I love the idea of going, you know what, like, let's not conform to the norms here, let's just not do what everyone else is doing, like, we can build this ourselves, we can do this ourselves. I, I think that's absolutely fascinating. I, I don't know if I can pin it to one person, but like all of the pioneers of computing, the people at Bell Labs and Xerox Park, that to me is the, the coolest position to be in. You are discovering a new medium and like coming to terms with like what that the interactions are going to look like. What's crazy to me is that we basically still use all of the innovations in terms of GUIs and mouses and stuff that was invented, you know, so long ago, but they, they've stuck around because they're valuable and they're useful. And I think that that is, is really interesting to just, you know, figure out new ways of, of how people should interact with computers. So like the Douglas Engelbarts, the, the Ted Nelsons, um, Alan Kay, I think all those people are very impressive. You know, we talked about mistakes and such, but in a different angle, if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? I mean, like, because we've, we've iterated with things so quickly, it, it, like, it always feels like we're kind of getting to, to play out those different timelines. I think for me personally, FIG has been an unbelievable learning experience. And so it's hard for me to say that, oh, like, I would have done this or that differently. Uh, to, put, to put it in perspective, as I said, I like, grew up around tech and interested in tech, but I was far more on like, the business side of things. I was you know, doing no-code stuff. And so... I really only started coding in January of 2020. So it's been a year. And so I've gone from like no idea what a for loop is, not no idea, like I had a general idea, but to writing a bash parser. And that for me is like, I I just needed that time and I needed to go into something really, really deep. The figure's just been perfect for that. So I, I don't know what else I could have done differently there to, to upgrade my coding skills. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who has built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? So already just in the framing, I think that the key thing is don't be sentimental about your innovations. You don't know what the market wants and you don't know what other people want. Like, And so being really humble and willing to take feedback from the users you want and the users you have um, rather than just thinking that you know exactly how something should work. I think my big thing, uh, I'll tell you a story. So when I first interviewed for Y Combinator, this was it. So Matt, Matt and I were roommates at college. And the one semester Matt decides to do a study abroad, uh, I was like, okay, now it's time to start doing the startup thing. And like, let's apply to YC. So I applied to YC. I'll skip over the idea. But I had Michael Seibel just grill me in this interview. It was just me. He just pushed and pushed and pushed. And the one thing he pushed on was, what problem are you solving? And is this a number one problem for someone? 
if your product didn't exist, can this person maybe not even do their job? Or have they been looking everywhere for a solution to this? Have they tried to build something themselves? And are you coming in and solving this problem? He's like, those are the sorts of startup ideas that you want to, sorry, not startup ideas. Like don't think about ideas, think about solving problems. And so my advice to, to the young entrepreneur on the plane would be, what problem are you solving? Really hone in on, is this a problem or are you just fabricating some solution? Or is this just like a cool idea that you have? So like really focus, who has this problem? How big of a problem is it? Is it a number one problem? YC likes to say, is it a hair on fire problem? Those are the problems you want to solve. And another thing I would say is, you don't have to solve a problem. Like people say, this is a $20 billion market and we're going to take over the world. Just if you solve a number one problem for even a small community, you will get exposed to other problems, to other members of other communities, then you can start solving those problems. Like your first product does not have to be in a trillion dollar market. It can just be in a small place that maybe a lot of, ideally a lot of users have this problem, but just solve a number one problem, really delight users, really just say they would never ever go back to their like terrible solution before, then go to the next one. So just focus on solving problems, I think is the big advice I would give. That's great advice. Well, guys, thank you for being on Code Story. Thank you for telling the creation story of Fig. Thank you so much for having us. This has been this has been great. Yeah, thank you. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.